We are in a season where we're reflecting on a lot of things that God has done and is doing, and we are starting our Advent series this week, which, which tells me that there's a lot of people that show up at church during a season like this where uh, it's just what you do, right? It's where you go, it's when you show up at church to hear what they typically tell you. And, and so we won't surprise you, we're going to talk about what Christ offers in uh, the Great Exchange. But I was reminded preparing for this sermon about my own version of Christmas heritage, right? The Mon family Christmas. If I back up 20 years ago, we all lived fairly close to each other. When I say all, I have six brothers and sisters, all married, and they all have kids. We would go to my parents' double-wide trailer for, for Thanksgiving. So we'd have 40-some people in a small little space. My mom had this tradition where every uh, Thanksgiving, when she was done, she'd write everybody's name on a piece of paper and put it in a hat. Some of you are nodding your heads like you've done this before. And everyone would pass the hat around. You'd pick a name, and you had to buy them a gift for Christmas, okay? I hated that tradition. Hated it. One is you never knew what to buy, and secondly, the only, they had a limit of $20 you could spend on a person, and you never could get anything cool for 20 bucks. So I, I hated the whole thing. My mom was highly stressed. So that was my version of uh, the gift exchange. But we're going to do something really obvious. We're going to talk about the gift that Jesus provides. Um, the scriptures tell us in Ephesians chapter 2, that what he provides is a free gift of salvation to those who trust him. And so there's this exchange that takes place, right? The, what sin has caused to us, what it does to us, what it condemns us with. We get to turn that stuff in and receive from Christ and his work a whole bunch of stuff um, that's amazing. So we, we get to trade in our despair for his hope according to the scriptures and the gospel. We get to trade in the uh, sadness of life for his joy that superabounds and super exceeds over all the things that we see. We get to trade in this mundane existence and survival for uh, his glory, living for something bigger than ourselves. And what we're going to talk about today, we get to trade in maybe stress and, and, and maybe trouble for, uh, for his peace. So today is a discussion on peace. Before we get into it, let's pray and ask for his presence in our time together. God, I thank you for uh, Jesus. We thank you in advance uh, for what we're going to talk about today. Do pray, God, that your spirit would be here and encourage us and inform us of what Christ has provided by his coming. We pray this in, in his name. Amen. People who study these things have gone back to B.C. 3600 and have figured out that we've only had 292 years of peace in our world since then. That's ridiculous if that's true. They've also calculated some 14,552 wars that have taken place in that time and, and four plus billion people killed. I don't think we do peace very well, to be honest. If we take it away from this giant corporate humanity kind of discussion to an individual discussion about our own level of peace, I don't think we do well at that either. The American uh, Psychological Association has done a survey this last year that said 80% of people surveyed said their, their stress was twice what it was the year before. 40% of those surveys said that it was unbearable stress, like burden. There isn't peace. And they did a really cool thing, I, I thought. They put a kind of a, a, a kind of a tutorial of the things that people were stressed about and then told them how they responded to or what they were doing about the stress. Guess what the number one issue of stress caused in America? money. Number two, connected to money, job. Number three, ties them both together, called economy, okay? That's the top three. Four and five are family and relationship. That's what people, top five, are stressed about in their life. I can, I can see why. People have hope in the wrong things. That'll always disappoint. 
I thought it was even more humorous to look and see how they dealt with it. The number one reason, or number one way in which people deal with the stress in life, you know what it is? Listen to music. Interesting. The, the number two reason or, or way in which they respond to the stress in their life is exercise. I don't understand these people, but they exercise, okay? Uh, number six says more than you ever want to know about our culture and our society. Number six is video game playing. That's weird, right? Every kid just perked up. Yeah. Um, now, number nine, I, I totally relate to. Eating is number nine. And number 10 is church. We suddenly show up there. Number 11 is drinking. I think some people choose to do both to manage their stress. A little bit of Jesus, a little bit of booze. But either way, um, there is clearly a high level of anxiousness in people. And God has a lot to say about peace, 400 plus mentions of peace in the scriptures. So we want to spend some time looking at it. I want to show you, first of all, the angel's uh, testimony to the coming of Christ in Luke chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, you might want to spin over there. Luke 2, verse 10 through 14. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have it up on the screens for you, which reminds me that there are some of you who don't own one. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one. So if you head over to our bookstore after, the, after our time together, they'll give you one free of charge. So thanks for being here. Luke chapter 2, verse 10, is uh, the angel declaring what Jesus was going to do, what this coming Messiah was going to do. That's what it says. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of, of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was... With the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The prophet Isaiah, speaking in, in, uh, in a future tense about the coming Messiah, said this in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called. These are the four names of Christ given to us by Isaiah. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And what's the last one? Prince of Peace. Jesus. The fourth title is the Prince of Peace. The word peace in Hebrew is the word shalom. You've heard that word before, right? The word shalom has lots of depth of meaning to it. One of the foundational aspects of it is this idea of wholeness or completeness right? Shalom to someone, like let your life be whole and complete. So let's just do the math here. Jesus has described as the prince of peace, the source of peace, and the conclusion of peace is that you'll be made whole and complete. And those of us who know Jesus know exactly what he's talking about, prophetically speaking. We know that apart from Christ, there is no peace in a human soul. They're always longing, always searching, without any destination. And so Jesus is the source of that. So I thought we'd spend just a few minutes this morning talking about peace biblically, and talking about the ways in which Jesus is the Prince of Peace. I'm going to give you three things. Here's the first aspect of this Prince of Peace. Jesus provides peace with God. Okay, look up for a second. You've heard that before. I don't need you to check out on it. I need you to listen. It's the most important thing I'll ever tell you. Some of you are here just because a friend invited you. I'm glad you're here. You're here because of Christmas. I'm even more glad you're here. You're checking out at church. You've heard stuff's going on, and so you're here. I, I love that. Here's what you're going to hear every week. God provides peace for sinners. And Jesus is the prince of that peace. This distance, this chasm that exists between God's holiness and perfection and our sin is an un unbridgeable distance 
without help. And Jesus is, is that help. Most people, if you were to ask them, doesn't matter if they believe in God or not. Let's say you said, talk about the concept of God for you. What kind of God would you, would you like? Would you, would you kind of predict in your mind? Almost everyone would say, well, he's a good God. And he's, he's a pure God. He's a holy God. They might not use the word holy, but they're trying to describe this God who's not like us, who doesn't do wrong things and never fails. They're describing this holy God. And, and everyone who you would ask would simply say, I want, I want his favor, whoever that is. I'd like his blessing. All you got to do is see every foxhole in human history, everyone's crying out for God's favor, blessing, and mercy. No matter what you think about God and your big, biggest, deepest crisis, you're going, help. And God, I, I just assume that you're good because I will ask you for help because you're the only thing I can think of at this crisis moment to provide that kind of help. Um, the Jews had a, a, a priestly uh, blessing that they used with one another to describe in essence this version of peace with God. So let me just read it to you. You're probably very familiar with it. Numbers chapter 6, it says this, the Lord bless you. And keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So let's just go through that little blessing. God, please just give us blessing. Don't curse us. God, don't turn dark on us. Don't, don't, don't treat us with wrath. God, treat us with favor. God, when it's all said and done, look at us. Look us in the face. Don't, don't turn away and give us what we need, okay? That's the essence of this blessing, that this priestly blessing in, in Numbers chapter 6. You and I all know how this works. We do it humanly speaking. You're at the mall for some crazy reason on Friday maybe, and you're in that huge crowd of people, and you're walking down the, down the courtyard, and you run into a friend you haven't seen in, like, years. Hey, man, good to see you. Wrap your arms around them, and... You talk about what's been going on, and you get caught up, and you look them in the eye, and you share a really good moment because you're friends. But if you ran into an enemy, you would dart into a store, you would divert your eyes, you would look away, right? Well, that's in essence what this blessing is talking about. God, be our friend. Notice us. Look at us. Bless us. Protect us. Guard us. People want that relationship with God. People want to be in good terms with this God, and here's how they typically try to get there. They try to work themselves to that relationship. They instinctively know that they need something like God in their life, and so what they think is, I'll just, I'll just work really hard or work hard enough. At least I'll have my life merit some attention from God, and clearly if I'm better than the people around me or I'm at least able to keep my own particular standards, God will take note, and he'll offer me blessing. He'll look upon me. He'll smile upon my actions, and he'll, he'll bless me accordingly if I just do these things. That's, that's the human perspective when it comes to God and my problem. Now, we will work our way to it, but here's what ends up happening. Even at a time like this during Christmas, people get busy trying to, well, maybe I should serve. Maybe if I get busy doing the, the homeless shelter, collecting food or giving money, God will notice that'll go on the I'm good enough account. But you're never quite sure. I mean, you're just working, but you're not quite sure. Or maybe you are sure, but you're sure of one thing. You've got a major problem and you don't know how to fix it. And somehow, even after you're done working really hard, you don't feel much better about where you're, where you're standing. And I know this, that, that's a debt feeling. And it makes a lot of people just throw their hands up and say, why try? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up. But here's the good news I want you to hear about the peace of God that Jesus provides as the Prince of Peace. We've been learning this. We've been studying Romans for seven months now. 
few months ago, we went through Romans chapter 5. Here's what Paul tells us in Romans 5, speaking of where this peace comes from. Watch this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you, did you hear that? We get peace only one way, being justified. Justified means that God doesn't see us as we really are. He sees us as, as perfect children, just as if we've never sinned. We get peace with God that way, by faith in Christ alone. Now, we have spent months looking at this issue that our goods don't equal a right big enough for God to accept us, that, that our, our background and our family and our church or our religion or whatever we choose to say, God, here it is, what do you think? There isn't anything we can offer God that he says that's good enough. We are made right with God for one reason only, and you know what it is. Faith in Christ alone, by grace alone, period. There isn't another option. This flies in the face of every religion ever invented on this planet. Every religion has as its system a ladder. Do these things, merit this version of God's attention, and you got a shot. Only biblical Orthodox Christianity says just the opposite. What a paradox. In fact, the only way to know this peace with God is to stop trying. How weird is that? Not to be a perpetual knucklehead, continue on in your sin, but just simply recognize there isn't anything, no matter how good I am, that you, God, will look at me and say, okay, we're we're settled. It is the opposite. We find peace when we stop trying to earn God's attention and simply receive, as Paul has said over and over again in, in his writings, receive free grace and mercy by faith in what Jesus has already accomplished. We sing a song around here, very simple song with a very simple chorus, but it says volumes of why that's true. Jesus paid it all. Not some, not most, not, not when you're doing good. He paid it all, past, present, and future. When Jesus came to this earth, he came intentionally to give his life a ransom to pay back God for his holy standard of the sin that you and I have committed against him. And God's standard is you sin, you will die. Somebody had to pay the price, the ultimate price. And Jesus being perfect in every way, he died, and everything between us and God was satisfied. According to Psalm 103, there is now no, nothing that separates us. We can't be snatched from God's hand. He remembers our sin no more. As far as the east is from the west, so far God has removed it from us. Why? Because every drop of the wrath of a holy God was poured out on Jesus. Nothing left undone. Nothing. Peace comes one way. Peace with God comes being justified by faith in what Christ has done. Amen? Maybe some of you heard that for the first time. We're going to be here after the service, and I would love to chat with you about this in more detail, but let's move on and, and just kind of keep blowing up this picture of peace. Not only peace with God, there's the other aspect of peace that the Prince of Peace provides, peace of God. There's something that God does in the hearts of his children that means that they can survive circumstances they do not like or do not want. Um, Jesus said this to his disciples. Listen to this in John chapter 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. John 16, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now it's interesting to understand the context with which Jesus has just said these things. He has just described that he's about to go to a cross and die. Now if you're a disciple who have given up three years of your life to follow this prophet and you are the biggest show in town, and everything Jesus touches works 
People are changed and miracles are happening. He looks like the political future of your country. He looks like all the hopes of all the aspirations that you could see with your eyes. And yet this Jesus came for a whole different reason. Not to resurrect the country, but to make dead people live. And so he tells them, I'm, I'm coming to die. This doesn't fit. This doesn't fit in any context or any reason in your mind at all. And he warns them about his, his coming death. And so from their vantage point, things are going to get hairy and they're going to get bad fast. People are going to want their heads. They're going to associate this, these people to their Messiah and wonder about them. Paul said it this way when he's talking about the peace that, that, that God provides through Christ in circumstances. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Or in other words, don't be stressed out. Don't be worried or troubled about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now watch this. In the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's some things we need to understand about this peace that we're talking about, this peace of God because it's totally radically different than the world's version and definition of peace, right? It's, it's massively different. The world thinks peace is simply problems, see problem, identify problem, get rid of problem, equals peace. So, in other words, if you're stressed, take a pill. No more stress, no, more, no problem, you got peace. The world thinks if you're in a relationship and it's bad, get a divorce, start over, reboot. No problem, stress, that's where you get peace. If you're, if you're overwhelmed in your life, go out and spend some money, buy something, and get distracted for a while. If you're feeling guilty, just keep talking to people until you find somebody who tells you you're a victim, and then you'll be all right. Then you'll have peace. Well, that's the world's idea of peace, but Jesus talked about a different version, a different peace. It's a calm, and it's a confidence in spite of our circumstances, right? It's different. This peace is different because it comes when we trust God, even though we don't understand our circumstances. In other words, it doesn't require that we have to know exactly what God's doing, or that we'll even survive it physically. We trust in the character of God. When you're under it, when you're feeling the pressure of it, whatever it is, the first and only place you should go for your source of peace is who your God is. Not how these things are going to work themselves out. You won't know. God doesn't send memos. I wish he did. I wish God just said, hey, by the way, you're going to go through two years of hell. Trust me, when it's all over with, this is going to be what happens. Even then we'd complain, but at least maybe we could see what God's doing. Many times God never tells us. Many times we don't even know this side of heaven if we can work all this out. But we know the character of God. So let me just ask you, is he good? Three people think he's good today. Is he good? Yes, he's good. Is he faithful? Is he true to his word? Yeah, the scriptures tell us that he's promised to take this stuff we call life, stuff we don't like, the stuff that stresses us out. Somehow God can take the things that we consider bad to accomplish his good. That right there is a miracle. I would never design a plan like that. Let me take all of these tensions and all these pains and all of these hurts and I'll weave them together. And when it's all said and done, you'll be more like Jesus I'll be more glorified, and this will be better. I, um, I moved here 16 years ago, and uh, I had a little experience like this, and, and 
and I was in a church for some 13 years, loved it. And my nature, by the way, is loyal. I don't, I just have a hard time leaving anything. I'm just in it. And that's my heart. And so I was at a church, loved the church, loved the people, loved the students I was working with. And I had a friend who said, hey, why don't you check out this church in a place called Gilbert, Arizona? I'd never heard of Gilbert, Arizona before. And I got on a plane and came to visit. And I was asking God, just what should I do? You know, I, I, I want to be sensitive to what he's leading. But I just, my heart, my heart was stuck in the place that I was in a good way. And I remember having a couple elders come out from that church to East Valley Bible Church then in 1997 to visit the church with me. And we got done with a service, and I, and I said, well, what'd you think, you know? And, and they knew I was wondering about what I should do, and we went to an Outback Statehouse over here in Mesa. Yeah, absolutely. And I sat down in that little seating area where you're waiting for your seat, you know, where they wait to call you. And my heart was just breaking because I was kind of stuck between two, like a love, like passion to do something new and the people that I loved. And I said, okay, guys, all you got to do is tell me you want me to stay. I'm never going anywhere. And you could hear crickets chirping, man. <laughs> Nobody said anything. They just looked at me. And, and I go, wow, you don't even have the guts to tell me to go away. You just can't say anything. And I thought, this is, this is killer. I wouldn't have left. I would have not left uh, Chicago if it wasn't for that weird response. There's no response. So with my heart broken, I come out here and I look now some 16 years later and go, I can see a little bit of what God was doing. I don't know if he's done yet, but for crying out loud, I would have not, I would have not seen that. And it came through disappointment. If someone said, hey, you're gonna have this moment with a couple of guys you really love and a ministry you love doing, and eventually they're they're gonna leave you hanging. You're going to have given your heart and soul to something, and they're just going to leave you. I would have said, no, no, thank you. Let's, let's do something else. But God, in his wisdom, was weaving a story. I had no idea, right? Every one of us have those moments and circumstances in our life. Maybe you're lucky enough to have lived long enough to look back and say, oh, yeah, good things come from difficult times. But that's the peace that, that Jesus provides, is the prince of peace, comes from knowing that our God loves us with this kind of love, a perfect, selfless, for your good kind of love. Amen? So we got peace of God. Sinners can be made right with a God, somebody by faith in Jesus and what he's accomplished. And therefore, this distance between God and man has been bridged. And we're now friends of God. We get peace of God, which means that in difficult circumstances, I don't have to ebb and flow with what happens because I trust the character and the goodness of God, even though I don't see the outcome. Here's one last aspect of the Prince of Peace I want you to see this this, uh, Christmas season, and that is that he provides peace with others. He provides peace with others. In other words, Jesus brings people together. All the fractured relationships we have, he brings reconciliation. I was talking to Curtis Fields, who's the pastor of our counseling department. Last week, I was kind of writing some things down. I was at the copier, and he says, the number one cause of stress for people that he sees is unforgiveness between others. That's probably true. It's it's probably true. Jesus brings people together. He reconciles. Now, in Matthew chapter 18, I'll remind you of a a truth that Jesus says about how we deal with sin with each other, and then a parable that describes the source of this forgiveness. So in uh, Matthew 18, it's a classic passage where we understand where Jesus said, if a brother sins against you, go to your brother. And if he listens to you, then you've won your brother. Good, good for you. Relationships restored, all, all, all good. 
If he doesn't listen to you, take another friend with you and you go to him. And if he listens, great. If you don't, tell the church, right? So we have this series of things that we are to do to deal with sin with each other. Now, Peter is listening to this message about forgiveness and how to deal with sin and and make things right. And he, I got to believe Peter, who's this aggressive kind of bullheaded guy, has in his mind the guy or the people. There's no way I can fix this. And so he asks a question probably that you're asking if you're sitting here today with some kind of brokenness between you and someone else. How far do I go? Like, what do I do? How far do I push this forgiveness issue? And Peter suggests an absurd idea. He says, seven times? Now, I don't know if I've ever gone to an enemy who's hurt me that many times and keeps extending it. But he says, seven times? And what's the answer? I tell you, not seven, but... 70 times 7. Now, Jesus is not saying there's a a number, 400 and whatever, that if you get to, you're done with this guy. He's suggesting, he's suggesting an unlimited approach to forgiveness. And then he shares this parable in Matthew 18. So let me just read it to you, and you tell me where the source of this reconciliation comes from. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, the equivalent of an unpayable, insurmountable debt, okay? And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave all the debt. But when that servant... His same servant went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is the equivalent of a couple of days' pay. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I, I will pay you. He refused and, and went and put him into prison until he should pay back the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported that to the master, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you not forgive your brother from your heart. Forgiveness is not a matter of numbers. It's a matter of heart. And here's what's true about people who've been redeemed. An unsurmountable amount of debt. The resource for forgiveness is plenty if we simply look at what we owe God for his forgiveness. Do you understand? Tell me you understand. Listen, I've got a picture in my mind of a scenario some 25 years ago. This guy, I won't mention his name, hurt me like no other person I know. And if you know my personality, I can, I can hate pretty good. And I'm loyal and I can love, but you get me wrong and it goes bad. And I had a season, years in fact, where I was bitter, like boiling bitter. But the advantage was he lived in another state. So this is how some of us cope with bitterness and brokenness. He's just far away enough that I don't have to deal with it, right? Until I was sitting in a service very similar to this one. And the pastor was preaching about forgiveness and God cut me. He cut me down to my core about this truth that people who've received this unbelievable amount of forgiveness of debt should have untold numbers of resources to forgive those who hurt us, those puny little debts. So I went home and I felt really like convicted and I said, Sue, I'm going to call him. 
hadn't talked to him in years. I picked up the phone, dialed the number, and he answered. And I said, hey, man, I just want you to know that uh, I've been really bitter, like really bitter. And I was sitting in church this morning, and God got a hold of me. I couldn't deny it, that I was bitter and it was wrong, and I, I just want to ask you for forgiveness. Now, right, right here is when the strings start playing louder, okay? <laughs> and he said this, good, I'm glad to see you came to your senses. <laughs> Over here, this little meter was going right to the top. Like everything I wanted to get away from just came right back. But then I remembered this, as far as it depends upon me, be at peace with all men. Listen, I know this. The only reason any of us would ever be moved to deal with someone who sinned against us is to see our offense against God. That God has no right. No, no, he has no um, need to relate to us. He chooses to give us forgiveness and grace. He forgives a debt we could never pay. Amen. We go free, not just free, we get adopted in and get the inheritance of the kingdom. We get the riches of the king. That's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. And we go around holding these little puny offenses against people, somebody who said something or done something or taken something or continues to do it. And God looks at that and goes, really? Seriously? After all I've done for you to release you from the debt to me, it costs me the life of my son and you're going to go around choking people until they say they're sorry. You get my point? Here's the peace that Jesus provides. The Prince of Peace says this distance between God's holiness and your sinfulness is bridged by his life and death for you. By faith you receive it. He's the Prince of Peace because in the midst of your circumstances, he's the one that tells you God is good and he's writing a story of his glory and for your good, something that ripples into all these lives and you might not know or like what he's doing, but he's good. And so when you don't understand, you can fall back into his, his character, amen? He's the Prince of Peace because he can take broken people, messed up, twisted, selfish, pig kind of people, and forgive us so deeply and so completely that we just release people from the debt they owe us. Prince of Peace, amen? That's the truth of the scriptures. We share a, uh, a common problem with everyone. That's why it's possible. We, we all fall short. We're all sinners. It's, it's true of people who go through circumstances together that they kind of come together. If you see yourself as an equal offender and an equal sinner, then maybe this will help. You know, I was watching the news I think it was a couple of weeks ago when all the tornadoes hit the Midwest. And uh, I watched how total strangers a day before were now helping each other reclaim possessions and look for kids. And what, what, what made them connect? They didn't connect before. What made them connect? Tragedy. Problems. I noticed this too. When some people get sick, maybe you got cancer, you end up in a hospital ward and they're doing chemo together a total stranger because they're going through the same experience somehow related a deep level listen we're all sinners right so we share the same problem but more than that we share the same solution rich and poor male female any color any creed there's only one solution to the problem of sin and the problem of God and that's Jesus there is not another option in the world the gate is narrow that leads to heaven. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. No other name. There's no other options, although they say they're options. Jesus is exclusive, and here's why he has the right to be so, because he really is the way to life and peace, and there is no other kind. 
Amen. So let me ask you a couple questions as we finish. Which one of those pieces do you need today? Maybe you're visiting and your confession would be, um, I'm not a Christian. I have not given my life to Jesus. I know about him, but I, I don't. He's not my Lord and Savior. And I started describing people who are working and striving to sort out their problems and fix their issues, and you suddenly thought of yourself, like, that's me. That's, that's me, hoping that my good pile is bigger than my bad pile. Do you need the peace with God? All this, all this truth that we've talked about, this being made right with God by faith alone. Do you want to be friends with God? If that's true, if you want the peace that he provides, then it's simply understanding by faith what Christ has done. That it's true that when Jesus came, he came intentionally on a rescue mission to give his life, to die, so that God could transfer from you all of your sin that you're guilty of to Jesus, past, present, and future, so that when God kills his own son, all of your debt is being paid in full. It's understanding that your lack of righteousness and holiness with which you need to please God, God provides by transferring from Jesus' life his righteousness to you. So God no longer sees you as the broken puke that you are. He sees you as a beloved, holy child of the king. Amen? That's the truth. That's how you have peace with God. Maybe you're sitting here today and you go, no, I, it was, uh, it's the peace of God that I'm looking for. As I don't manage my life too well, then I'm asking you to remember the character of your God. He uses the things that we call bad to do the things he calls good. Amen? That's what he does. We can trust him. Even though you don't understand, we have confidence because of his faithfulness. Maybe you hear me and you have uh, problems with people. You would say, you would use the word war to describe it then simply see them as Jesus sees you. A debtor he's forgiven. Right? These are small debts. Ask God to give you the heart to change. Let me remind you of these verses before we pray. This is the peace that Jesus offers. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not the kind the world gives. So don't let your hearts be troubled. I said these things so that in me you might have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Same word for peace. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Amen? Let's pray. God, we ask for peace. Whoever's in this room today, if they're recognizing their need for Jesus, that they need to have their hearts changed, God, I pray that you would grant them that peace. Draw them to yourself. I pray for those of us who are overwhelmed with our life, who have forgotten how good you are, that you are doing a work, that even though we might not be able to see it, it's a good work that we can trust. If there is a broken and fractured relationships, God, give us the perspective of a debtor gone free to forgive with. God, this is the Christmas season when people talk about peace and joy and, and hope. God, I pray that we would understand the peace that you um, came to give us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.